Welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and with each other. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and I'm so, so, so excited for our guest today, Jeff Anderson. And, and let me take a moment to, to talk about his background, his bio, and also why I've invited him on the show, because together we will be exploring what does it look like to really be a human-centered leader? How do we think about leadership from a perspective of being people first? And so I'm, I'm just really thrilled for you all to meet one of one of the favorite leaders that we get to work with. All right, so here's a little bit about Jeff. I'm going. I'm making you uncomfortable. Is this, you know, am I? <laughs> a little. Yeah, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. All right. So here's what you should know about Jeff Anderson. He has earned a reputation as a strategic and driven general manager with over 15 years of experience creating sustainable growth throughout the cooperative retailing system. Jeff has mentored executive leaders to help them reach their full potential through growth initiatives, diversification, and talent development. He is guided by a strong values and belief in the importance of relationship building. For the past four years, Jeff has led a team of professionals at the Moose Jaw Cooperative Association, which has experienced revenue growth of 132.5% while giving back to the community in forms of their equity and cashback program. Last year, the Moose Jaw Co-op returned over $6.2 million in equity and cash back to the co-op members. He credits a strong, talented team with the organization's success, as well as a company-wide focus on the, on the corporate values of excellence, trustworthiness, community, and people first. Jeff enjoys giving back to the community through his volunteer work as a member of the Moose Jaw Transition House Board and as chair of the Downtown Moose Jaw Association. He is a devoted husband and father and is currently training for a mountain climbing expedition. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Um, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Well, I, I definitely come from a diverse background. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to move to uh a community called the Kaluit Nunavut uh, back in 2015, uh, which is way, way, way up in the Arctic. It's actually on Baffin Island. We're actually only about 500 miles from Greenland. Mm. And my very first job was in retail, believe it or not, working for the Hudson Bay Company uh, in Iqaluit, which was formerly called the Frobisher Bay uh, Northwest Territories. And really had a great opportunity to meet all sorts of different diverse backgrounds all across Canada, whether that be the Inuit, um, or the Métis, or, you know, people from different walks of life in Eastern Canada, as well as uh, some of our cousins in the United States. Also, I had an opportunity to grow up with uh, in the Arctic. So it was uh, it was a great experience. No, oh, thanks for sharing that. I, you know, I, I was struck, actually, uh, before I get into how we know each other and why I've invited you on the show. You know, typically, when you read someone's bio, it's like, here's what I've done. And Here's, here's how I do it and what I appreciate and which I feel like just validates how we've observed you showing up is, you know, you talk about how this you credit the strong, talented team to the organization's success as well as the focus on values. The, you know, obviously for people who are listening know that we're in the space of leadership development. We always lovingly say we want to help leaders people better. And we first connected with Jeff um, through an event that we were at that we were facilitating. And I don't even completely remember all of the conversations you and I were having at break, but you were using language that I had never heard from someone else who is in position of power and authority that we've had the chance to work with, not saying that it's never been said, but I had never experienced that. You were using phrases like suffering <laughs> and <laughs> mindfulness. And um, I, I don't, I mean, you might remember some of the conversations more explicitly I than I do. Um, I do. And, do you? Yeah. What were some I of the do. things that we talked about? Well, I, I think what we said during the break is you were exploring this this aspect of our brain called the amygdala, and mm. you were exploring with the CEO group and general manager group how you know human beings have evolved uh, from from constantly searching for predators like the saber toothed tigers to now more looking for corporate threats around us on a regular basis and challenging the CEOs and GMs out there, how you can start using your prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. is that front part of your brain to explore 
um, different viewpoints and different perceptions through questions. And I think what really struck me as interesting is, uh, and, and hopefully you're okay with, with me sharing that, is I think as an executive, we deal with uh, people from all walks of life. Hmm. But there's usually one common thread is that from the time we wake up until the time we go to sleep every night, we are suffering to some degree. And that suffering usually stems from constantly watching out for dangers or threats, whether they be to our family, our colleagues, our business. What other people think about us is usually where a lot of us spend most of our time is what perception uh, am I giving off to those other individuals I interact every day? And we're constantly reminding ourselves how how we're not good enough. Hmm. And that we always have to do better. And so um, any way that I can help take some pain away from the team that that I have the uh, fortunate ability to lead, um, I'm, I'm going to want to do that because I, I think living in that constant state of worry and suffering uh, can be ended. And I think it, it ha- starts with being mindful and doing some work on self-awareness and those kinds of things. And uh, some of the things you teach, like emotional intelligence, I think... Um, for our new leadership crop it is so timely and so necessary. Um, when I started off in retail, when, you know, 1990, I was 15 years old. It was very top down driven. It was very much like old school hockey, right? Where mm. you, know, you didn't ask for somebody's opinion. You gave them the opinion and, mm. and uh, you, you really didn't collaborate with your direct, direct report. It was, you were just waiting for the next set of orders. And I, I even started my career leading that way. And, you know, because I thought that's how you led people. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that I think you had asked that hopefully you asked me today, which is, you know, can you think of one monumental story that that transitioned you Mm -hmm. into becoming Mm -hmm. a leader or a better leader? And I certainly have a story I'd love to share with you, um, but I don't want to just keep rambling either. No, this is okay. So just to like, I'll I'll pause you there. And people who are listening, you can you can already understand why why we've invited Jeff on the show. And what I can also share is that sometimes, sometimes we can say the right words, we can say really meaningful things. Um, But our actions don't always match that. And we have done some extensive interviewing and data gathering that we've seen firsthand the stories and the impact um, on the culture that Jeff has been creating and so intentional about creating with his colleagues that um, this isn't lip service, you know, not just only the financial success that the organization has had and the rapid pace of growth. Um, But so I I just want to, you know, offer that perspective from the standpoint of um, Jeff isn't just somebody who's like, yeah, this sounds good you know, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm not actually going to walk the talk. And the thing mm-hmm. that, that, that we were really struck by is, and, and honestly, we've had the conversation as the team of what would be possible if we had more people in positions of power and authority asking the question, what can we do while we have people in the workplace to reduce suffering that they're experiencing? You know, I mean, I remember when that first came out in some conversations you had with my colleagues and they shared that it was like, that's so different than maybe other things we hear like suck it up buttercup and people should just be happy they have a job and right. Like some of those behaviors. So I, d- I am curious to know of what, you know, so what was your journey? Cause I appreciate you sharing like, yeah, you were raised in an environment that most of us are raised in from a corporate perspective or from a, a work perspective of it's very hierarchical. It's very patriarchal. It's very right. Like you don't want to get too close to your team members because you might have to fire them. You right. Your the relationships are largely transactional, not transformational. Um, so what, what are the things that shaped you? Because you've had such an interesting career and journey, right? Um, from when you were 15 to now, um, what were some of the things that really shaped your um, perspective on leadership? Well, I, I think certainly I'd, I'd moved through the ranks of a department manager, division manager. I had my first posting as a general manager in a small community called Davidson, Saskatchewan. And, you know, great team of, of individuals and my leadership style, unfortunately in Davidson was horrible. Mm. I had been taught that, uh, you know, you're the answer key for everything in the organization that you should be the one that knows everything about what's going on. And if you don't, there's a problem. And, you know, I took it upon myself going into that first, 
um, executive role, you know, barking orders and, and pointing fingers and saying, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And, you know, how come, you know, how come this area over here hasn't been cleaned up? And I was constantly looking at things from, from a, a negative lens mm. and, and that very dictatorial, I guess. And there was a gentleman by the name of Larry Duick, and he was uh, at the time uh, working in file maintenance. And he had been there for probably 25 years, and he was a little bit older than I was and, and certainly wiser. And I came to work on a, you know, on a Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock, and, and he said, hey, I'd like to talk to you for a second. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll close the door, and what's going on? And he said, I, I really haven't liked coming to work lately. Hmm. And, and I said, oh, um, Why? And he says, well, if I can be totally honest, it's because of you. And that was, was definitely a punch to the gut. And, uh, and then I started asking some exploratory questions as to why. And, you know, he taught me team leadership, mm -hmm. um, or at least started me on that leadership journey where I started looking at things differently. So obstacles and challenges that we're facing our retail were always easier overcome by involving the team. And asking for what solutions they could brainstorm and come up with. And once we came to a consensus, I started leading the organization that way and started learning from those individuals that had more experience than I had, that had certainly better leadership experience than I did. And it started me on my leadership journey to become better at, at, at managing people and, and, uh, and lead, not even managing people, leading people. Managing is an archaic word, but right. leading those individuals and learning from them. And it's, it's something that certainly carried me to Moose Jaw to this day. Hmm. That's, I mean, what a, what a great example of the fact that we can make impact any, any time. And the, Larry Dwick, was that his name? Did I catch that? Yes. Um, you know, for him to have the courage to, to speak up and to share that because, you know, we're doing some, we're doing some work right now on, on giving and receiving feedback. And it's not easy to give feedback to somebody who has authority over you. Um, yes. It's not always safe. And that's, that's under sort of the best circumstances. Then you add in additional power dynamics. Like if I'm the only woman on the team, or if I'm a person of color and my manager is a white person and the complexity, the risk, the risk and the calculations become higher. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then the courage for you though, to receive it, because I can, I can imagine, cause I've observed it, that conversation going very differently. Right. Could have, yeah. You know? Um, and so, um, so what, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, as you think about your journey as a leader and that, that being a, a trans, like a pivotal point of, Hmm, what were some of the things that you had to shed or let go of like, because there are rules, their rules were taught about how to exist at work and what relationships at work and what power dynamic, right? Like what does managing people look like? What were some of the, the beliefs or rules that you had to let go of or shed on your journey to, to being the leader that you're trying to be now? Well, I think I had to learn that, you know, more, more people in a room will make better decisions mm. every day of the week. Right? If you can get 10 individuals, it doesn't necessarily have to be the 10, 10, you know, 10 senior leaders of your organization. Pick any 10. And if you ask the right questions, you'll come up with better solutions together. Hmm. And I think that was a pivotal point for me. And I think shedding a little bit of my own ego as, as thinking I was maybe the most uh, intelligent person in the room, number one. Secondly, that I'm not the answer key to the organization, hmm. that if if I allow people to help me and I can help them do their best, that will run a better organization. And so I think shedding my ego a little bit and, and realizing that, you know, I wasn't as good as I thought I was and that I can learn a lot from people that have more experience. And certainly in Larry's case, uh, the, the right approach to leading people and listening to him. And mm -hmm. I think that was the other part of it is actively listening. And it took me on a journey there to uh, change my approach to, to how I worked with people. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I really appreciate the language you're using of the answer key. I've never, uh, I've never heard it described that way, but there very much is uh, a combination, I think, of the pressure we put on ourselves, if we're in a formal leadership role that I have to have the answers. Now, part of it too is, 
largely the people we promote are the ones who have the like technical answers, not the ones who can create an environment of collaboration and right consensus building and and bringing together diverse thoughts and uh, diverse perspectives. Um, and and then sometimes there's also then the expectations from team members that you have the answer keys. So it's, you know, as when I when I've thought about my leadership journey or individuals that we've worked with, not only is it a recalculating or shedding of expectations that you and beliefs that you hold personally, but it's also navigating, changing the cultural expectations that other people may have of you. Was that something that as as you've been on your evolution of how do we include more people? How do we how do I really set them up for success? How do I lean into their their gifts? Uh, what kind of challenges did you face um, in sort of rewriting that narrative, whether it was from colleagues, whether from your superiors, whether it was from team members? Because I could imagine that there might be some challenges that would come up with that. There were certainly, and I, I can speak for Moose Jaw Co-op, which I came to Moose Jaw Co-op in, in 2019, February of 2019. They had just gone through a, a labor disruption, so they'd had a strike for just about seven weeks. So employee engagement was was in the tank. It was mm. it wasn't doing very well. Um, so I, as an observer coming onto the Moose Jaw Co-op, I, I started kind of watching and learning from from the individuals that I've now been tasked to lead. And what I found was is that every decision in the organization had been made by one or two people, either mm. the general manager or the controller. And I knew that with such a large, diverse organization, and we just purchased a brand new agronomy center, um, and we're, we're really um, changing how we do, did business in Moose Jaw. It certainly became more a complex retail and I knew I needed to develop a team in order to support the organization. A lot of that um, work, I guess, developing that team was really educating, re-educating myself and re-educating my team on what are our expectations, what are we, ex what's expected of us. Mm. And one of the things that I think probably surprised a few of my team members when I talked about this is. Um, letting them know that I'm, I'm going to stop making decisions for the company and that they're going to have to start making them hmm. and that I'm only one individual and having every decision uh, from the ground floor right up to the top of the organization, I don't have the ability to be there for every one of those decisions and that I started working on empowering them to make decisions, uh, providing they knew that they had a safe space to make those decisions and that I expected, I expected them to learn um, as opposed to fail. And mm. I think that that's mm. a bit of a change in, in language is that mistakes were encouraged because that's how we were going to continue to grow. And uh, having that their trust, I guess, to be able to make some decisions for the company, know that I have their back and know that we're going to make some, some stumbles along the way. And that's how we're going to actually become better. I think giving them that freedom to be able to do that certainly helped in our journey here at the, at, at the co-op. And when I do, I use a lot of words like we, as, as, as do all great leaders, mm -hmm. but we are running the company. I would say, if anything, my senior leadership team is running the company. I'm working on things that continue to grow outside the organization. And uh, by allowing that space for them to grow and develop and make some decisions is why I think we've seen the growth that we've had. Hmm. I, there's, there's, there's so much I love in, in what you were sharing I think that I, I expect that there are people who are listening who will resonate either because they are that one or two person and maybe they're pausing and going, hmm, maybe that's a problem. <laughs> um, and and or they work in an organization where they aren't. You know, I think that one of the, gosh, one of the, the challenges we often see is a gap between what people say they that is important to them versus what's really important to them. Right. So I've never I've never met anyone who's like, no, people can't fail. Like, and yet their behavior is, why did we do that, right? Pulling the plug on an experiment before we're ready to, or whatever the case might be. And um, what, you know, so what were some of the, what were some of the um, 
changes that you observed in the team shifting? Because I would I would imagine and appreciate that some of them existed under the old guard, so to speak, right? Yes. And that and and sometimes when something new comes in, it can be really common uh, for people to be skeptical. Like I know you say this, I know you say this, and I don't know if that was true in your with you, the team that you it support. Was. was it? Yeah. So talk to so talk to me about yeah. Just what what was that process like? What was what were some of the conversations like that uh, during the transition? Well, I think you know certainly when when I was hired for this role. Uh, Again, I had said there was the general manager who was kind of the CEO of the company and then the controller, which was kind of second uh, in command. And probably the hardest change from an org structure review was was now that controller having a team of individuals that were on equal playing mm. field was mm. and having to change kind of that. In individual contributor mindset to that of a, a team mindset. And we certainly, you know, part of it was education. We had, um, we'd done some work on the five behaviors of a cohesive team, which is a, a Patrick Lencioni model. Um, but we, we'd had a, a third party organization come out, work with our team for a couple of days. And, you know, the, probably the biggest hurdle was having cohesive conflict within our team mm. where you talk about issues and not actual individuals. Mm. And, and that shift, I think once we were able to kind of let down our guard and have some really honest, open conversations about things that maybe were a conflict for the organization um, and we get past egos and that kind of thing. And we say, Hey, we're not talking about you not liking you know, somebody across across the table from you, we're talking about maybe a, a varying and an opinion on a particular issue so that we can come to, be, to the best solution um, together. So that has been a journey as well. Mm. Um, but I think it, it took a lot of coaching and, mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, a lot of work, I think, for our team to get there. And we're not we're not done yet. We're still trying to like how can, how we how can we prepare ourselves for the next 5 10 15 years as we continue to grow and and I'm always very fearful of burnout and fearful of people taking on too much um and part and, and I appreciate all of the kind words that you'd said to me Sarah about my leadership style that the downside of my leadership style if I can talk to it is yeah. giving people the freedom to chart their own course and work on their own goals and actions and initiatives with their team is great but people have a tendency when they chart their own course is to take on too much sure, because they think that's, that's expected. Sure. And words that usually never will come out of my mouth is you're, you're not doing enough Yeah. or I want to see more. It's usually, Hey, are you spending time with your family? Are you getting an opportunity to take holidays? Are you, are you getting a good night's sleep every night? Or are you staying up till three o'clock in the morning worrying about this place? So that is the downside to that is if I had, you know, delegated every one of their actions uh, on our strategic plan and said, this is what you're, you know, this is what I want you to accomplish this year. I don't think we'd be as successful. Mm. The caveat to that is so by allowing people to create their own space to grow and develop and hit their milestones uh, through their own actions and through their own teams is great. But they set the level of expectations for themselves. Sure. Although they think I'm the one doing it, I'm forever trying to talk them off a ledge that they're taking on too much. And I'm not saying that to say that uh, my level of expectation isn't high. It certainly is. But they've made they continue to move the bar each and every year with the work they've been able to perform for this organization. It's it's absolutely outstanding what they've been able to do. It, it boggles my mind because it's not me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, yeah. it's, uh, I know I appreciate you sharing that because when you are, are trying to create that culture of collaboration, part of what we're creating is a culture of ownership. Right. Yes. And, and, and I would, and I would imagine too, that there could be a sense of, am I doing enough? Right. Because if, again, if you've been conditioned most of your career that you probably aren't doing enough 
that, you know, because I, it's forever the phrase, how do we do more with less, right? Over and over and over. Uh, and then to be met with the expectation of, yeah, we want to do better and we want to do more, but not at the expense of you as a person. And, you know, even again, the language you use and the questions you check in with, isn't it isn't just about how are they accomplishing their tasks? It's about them as a whole person. Hey, are you spending time with your family? Are you resting? Are you, you know, if you, if you, you know, when you think about this idea of being a human centered leader, um, what do you think are some of the most important conversations that like, what are some of the most co important conversations you're having with yourself as a leader and that you think that somebody should be having with their team members based off of your experience? That's a great question. Well, I think with, you know, and, and I like that term human centered leadership, you know, when I go back to our, our purpose as an organization, when I, when I had started in 2019, I knew the Moose Jaw Co-op had a vision and, you know, that vision is we will be the community leader by putting people first in the delivery mm -hmm. of value and excellence. And that vision where I honed in on two key words, which, um, I, I'm very repetitive about, and we speak to people first, our people first value on a regular basis, but <clears throat> probably the, the simplest conversation that I have with individuals that are new to our organization that maybe haven't worked for, for this company is, you know, I usually start with a little bit of a game with them and it's usually a pop attendant that's just starting with our company, usually 15 or 16 years old and it's their first job. And I always ask the question, so if you picked up the phone and called the general manager, you called me and you needed help, who's the customer? Hmm. And, and they kind of look at me weird and they go, well, well, I'm the customer. And I'm like, okay. And how would you like to be treated if you were the customer? And they, hmm. they would kind of explain back to me, well, this is kind of how I'd like to be treated. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And I said, uh, now, if I picked up the phone and called you and I needed help, who's the customer? Hmm. And they're like, well, you are. And I'm like, and should that experience be any different, whether I'm helping you or you helping me? And, and usually a light bulb goes off and people go, no, it should be the same experience. I said, exactly. We all have different roles. We all have different responsibilities. But at, at its base level, we're all people and we are all equal. And how we're treated should be the same, in my opinion, or it should be the same as far as a positive uh, viewpoint. And we lead that way. We're here to help each other. That's our sole purpose, nothing else. Hmm. And if we can keep that in the back, in our back pocket and remember that, not our title, not the fact that we have a, a higher role than someone else or that we have a lateral role from someone else. But when anybody needs our help, we help them. And that experience should always be consistent. What would you say, Jeff, what would you say to somebody who's listening to you right now going, that sounds great. I want that. That's not where I'm at. Like, what what advice would you give them? Somebody who's in a situation that's maybe more toxic, in a situation where they don't feel valued or seen or heard or respected or protected, to use our good friend Tara J. Frank's model. Like, what would you, because I, I, it's not the norm, right? And you, you know that. I mean, it's not... It's, it's, uh, it's, or it's, it's more complicated, the bigger you get is one of the things we see is that a lot of times when we're working with really small organizations, it can be easier to maintain that deep sense of collaboration and empathy and having each other's back and being really intentional. And then something happens, um, you know, just as more layers get brought in, more bureaucracy gets brought in, that the company is growing, but you're not, I mean, you are not a small company and in a couple of years, you're going to be even larger than, than you are now. What, what would you say to the people who are listening to this, who are in a space that's, that's not like Moose Jaw? Well, I, I would think that, you know, for any individual that's listening, you know, whether you are in a leadership role or whether, um, you know, you're part of a team, a senior leadership team or otherwise, I think you have to have the courage um, to, to talk to somebody and it's usually your direct report. Or if, if you are the direct report and you're the CEO of a company and you're wondering why everything's so dysfunctional, then I think you need to actually be open to honest feedback from your team. Hmm. 
and you need to, to, to do your best to create a safe space in order to have that collaborative discussion. And that's not always easy. And it might take more than one, one pass with your direct report to actually get that feedback. It might start as, you know, they're not really giving me anything. So it must um, be good. But, but what's that? <laughs> so it must be good. They didn't say anything. So it must be so, good. <laughs> yeah. What I would say is I, I wouldn't drop having those discussions and asking for that honest feedback until you get it. Mm. And maybe even having, you know, if you're courageous enough is to have the entire team there and say, hey, I, here's some things I want to work on with my own leadership development this year. And I'm going to be asking for, for your honest opinions. And I, I sure appreciate if you gave it to me. Um, because here's my vision of where I'd like to see this team. And I, I always go back to purpose and vision. So if you can find, or, or maybe ask your team, like if you could work on the most ideal team in the world, what would it look like? Hmm. And based on their feedback, that should give you a good indication which direction you need to go as a leader. So I, I hope I'm answering this, but I think mm -hmm. it starts with a conversation, Sarah. And yeah. I think it starts with being honest with the individual and you might have to rehearse it and you might have to talk to your coach or talk to your spouse about, hey, this is how I'm planning on delivering this message or this topic. Um, but I do think without that conversation, it's going to be very difficult to to change. Yeah. A negative experience for sure. We'll be back with Jeff Anderson in a moment. I I really appreciate the language of you have to do multiple passes because we know, I mean, we just know that our self-awareness can decrease the more power and authority we have because we just have fewer people being honest with us because of the power dynamic. And that, I mean, that's something I, I feel we're a bit of a broken record in, in our work with leaders is I know you think you're just Jeff. Like, I know, I know you're sitting here going like, but I'm just Jeff. People can come in. They, my door is always open, right? They can just come in and talk to me and, and not thinking about, again, the formal power dynamics are at play and they sure as hell are not thinking about the informal power dynamics that are at play, right? Like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're, we all can say whatever we want to say. I was like, well, you're all a team of white guys and you have one woman on your team. And I promise you, she's very aware that she's the one. And so are we also paying attention to that and and the way that we overcome, right, that gap between what we intend to do is we have to ask for it and create a culture of it and we have to be willing to receive it. So I, I love that language of it will take multiple passes. Like don't assume because you didn't get it that there isn't something to get <laughs> that's lurking under there. And and that moment, you know, we, we talk a lot about psychological safety and how do you create that is that... Um, Man, those moments of feedback, like that moment when that individual, Lewis, Lewis Dwick, did I? Uh, Larry Dwick. Larry, Larry Dwick. I knew it was, okay, Dwick. Um, you know, that moment was a risk for him, but because you met it with curiosity, you met it with perhaps some compassion, even though I suspect, I mean, you described it as a punch in the gut. I, I suspect that was really, really hard. It was. Right. And and that moment of how you received it probably fundamentally shifted that possibility of the relationship with him of a higher level of trust. And I think we just as whether we're in a leadership position, whether even if as a team member, or even as a spouse or a friend or a family member, that when somebody shares something hard with us, how we show up to that moment sets a huge tone for can you share other hard stuff with with me um and has a huge impact on our our trust yes well and i think you hit on something very important is that you need to know these individuals and you need to build a relationship with them so that there is that psychological safety and i i'd i'd, I'd even go as far to say as sometimes that's 80 percent of the conversation is is mm. the personal aspect of it mm. with 20 percent of it being work and that's how you get to know your team and, and that's how you get to know what's going on in their lives. So, um, and fundamentally know them as individuals. So I'm a big believer in, in really getting to know my team. Obviously, there's all sorts of different styles out there. But um, had I not, the one thing I can say about the Larry Duke story is there must have been something left over for him to go, 
you know, I can maybe trust him a little bit to give him this feedback. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and thank gosh he did because it had he not, you know, I might not be in the role that I'm in right now and I wouldn't have had the ability to, to help other people become better leaders and, and, and do the really the best job I've ever had, uh, which is leading this organization. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, uh, 80% personal, 20% work is not the common percentages we tend to see, especially, especially, you know, um, for organizations that are, have moved to uh, hybrid or remote work, right? They're challenged. And so then the conversations end up being even more transactional because we miss those little moments of, of building those, um, personal, I mean, it, I know I, I appreciate that. And, um, and again, I sit there and think, what, what would be possible? Like, what would be possible, not only for work, but what would be possible in our community and how people felt and how they left work, uh, feeling how they felt about themselves, if, if there was just so much more focus on how do I understand you, the individual, and your needs and your challenges and understanding that your lived experience is very different than my lived experience. And how do I honor that and meet you where you're at? And um, yeah, I love, I love all of that. What do you think people get wrong when they get into leadership? I mean, you've already, you've, you've hit on some of them just through your own lived experience, but well, I, I, I touched on the answer key example, yeah. but I, I do believe that, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of CEOs and GMs out there think they still believe that, you know, the, that really they're the decision makers for the company, that they're the only one that should be the decision makers. And whereas, uh, you know, I've taken more of the approach that we make team decisions together, mm -hmm. that I'm one voice. Obviously, I can be a tiebreaker and I can say, well, I think this is ultimately the direction we need to go in. But I try not to do that because usually we can find consensus, providing we have enough questions answered and we ask the right questions. But I think where where leaders get it wrong is. Uh, I think devaluing the. Uh, the power of the human relationship. Hmm. I know that sounds really deep, but it's so true. If I get yeah, to know I you it. on a personal level and I get to know your skill set and I get to know your background and I get to know a little bit about your family and get to know who you are as a person. And I'm not saying this, but the more ability I have to leverage your talent and, and, and it's out there. So I think it's a matter of getting to know those shining stars in a better light so that you mm -hmm. can just help them be the best that they can be. I think the other part that leaders get it wrong is I don't think they realize the negative impact they can have on others. Mm. And I, I can't remember the statistic, nor will I even uh, pretend to, to remember it on your, on your show, but you know, that the negative one in, negative interaction with your boss can throw your blood pressure, you know, through the roof. It can, <laughs> it can, uh, it can take hours before your cortisol mm. levels get down yes. to a normal, a normal level again. And, uh, the damage that I can do to your cardiovascular system, I think is real. And so, yeah, we got lots of health nuts in the world running five miles a day and doing everything they can to stay fit. But I would think that that, you know, uh, negative leader that can walk into somebody's office and completely destroy them with, with a sentence mm. should be mindful of what their impact is when they do, uh, converse with their direct reports. So I think that uh, just be very careful, I guess, on, on how you approach uh, your team hmm. and how you approach each individual. Because like I said, uh, at the start of this interview, it, you know, I think we're all suffering. Hmm. We're all telling ourselves, telling each other how, how less than we are and how we haven't accomplished as much as we should have yesterday. And we're constantly worried about all the things we have to do into the future. All we need is one person to validate all those negative things we're telling ourselves in between our ears, mm -hmm. really decimate how we feel about ourselves. So having a, a leader that can give you that positive reinforcement, that encouragement that dust, dust that individual off when they fall down and say, Hey, what did you learn for, through this experience? What are you going to go do different in the future? I think that's the way we need to lead. We can't 
teach our children the same way we used to. We can't bark orders and expect they're going to listen. We actually make them part of a collaborative approach to what goals and actions they're working on in the coming mm-hmm. year. It, it's I, I don't know if you guys have this in the United States, but here we have um, student-led conferences where actually mm-hmm. they lead us their goals and actions in the coming year. And they say, hey, this is what I'm trying to work on. It's a really cool approach. And it's the same approach we're using in business. Um, so I guess, you know, going back to your point is you can't be a 1970s uh, CEO anymore. You have to, um, I think, have a more team collaborative approach to leadership. I am. I'm here for this disruption. I'm here for this revolution in the workplace because, I mean, I, I, I often, I frequently will say leaders, people in positions of power, formal powers, authority, power and authority can make or break organizations. They can also make or break people. And, and I appreciate you bringing up the health component because it's, you know, it's your, if you are working in a situation where you don't feel heard, you don't feel valued, you don't feel respected, you're not included, you're not protected, you're um, all of those things, which so many, so many people we work with, they think that that's this like really obvious, uh, egregious, like, you know what it looks like when it happens, but it actually can be very covert. It can be very subtle. It can be very, it can be the best of intentions, but incredibly dismissive. It can be, oh, we have this great culture, but it's a great culture for people who look and sound like us, not for other people. And you don't even realize it. And and how even more, I mean, for me anyway, how I think of it is, it is absolutely the sacred role right? That, that we get to walk alongside folks and their career journey. And cause let's be real, people spend most of their time at work. They just, right. That's, that's how our system is set up and, and it's really sacred. And, and uh, so there's, there's so much that you shared that I, again, I appreciate. And part of why I wanted to be in this conversation with you is also to, to uh, sometimes I think and this is true for myself, and this is certainly true for teams we've worked with, when you've never experienced what it could look like, you don't even know that's a possibility, right? When, you, when you've when you only known a certain level of suffering and you don't even know how good it can be, or you don't even know what those conversations can look like, or you don't even know what a psychological safety look and feel like, um, it can be really hard to move towards that. And so that's part of why I wanted to to be in this conversation with you is to to show what what it can look like because so often what we hear are things like don't take it so personally. You got to leave it at the door. You got to right like compartmentalize your humanity um so that we can essentially exploit more from you instead of like let's honor and embrace your humanity and how do we leverage that? Yes. I don't know if you have any thoughts to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's also being vulnerable too. And mm. you know, realizing that you're not perfect. Mm. And um I've seen so many leaders walk around thinking, like, I can't show any weakness. I can't show that I make mistakes too. Because if I do that, then I'm gonna lose the respect of my team. In fact, the opposite is true. You're gonna make mistakes and you can pretend all day long that you're not making mistakes as as a leader, but you will. It's what you do when you make a mistake and when you go back to your team and say, hey, you know what? I really screwed up here, guys. I'm really sorry. And here's what I'm going to do different moving forward. No different than we would expect them to do if they made a mistake. Uh, I've had to do that numerous times or ask for help. Mm. Um, Why should a, a CEO ever ask for help from their team? Because they need it. Right. And and. I think on two or three occasions, I've had to, to look to my team and say, I need your help because I'm swimming here, guys. And uh, we need to make some changes. And, and without your support, I, I'm not going to be able to do this and being vulnerable. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more on the sensitive side. I think my team have seen me break up and crack up and, and get emotional at times. And, and I'm okay with that. I, I don't think that's a weakness for me, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, it has shown them that it's okay for me to see their, them vulnerable as well. And it, it's definitely strengthened our relationship. Hmm. It's a, yeah, I mean, people are more likely to take the risk when they see you being willing to take the risk, right? Yeah. 
I, I have, I have, you know, I have one thought before we wind down and I, I don't want to take us down a, a path necessarily, but I, 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 I do, I do want to ask it that sometimes what we can see in organizations where it's working really well, um, like your organization, right? Not that it's like no organization's perfect, not no organization is without faults, right? But it's, it's healthier uh, and has more moments of health than maybe not. How do you manage the fact that sometimes when what we observed is when when things are going really well, that actually can increase some avoidance of conflict because they don't want to rock the boat. So what are what are some of the things like what are some of the strategies that you all work on to um, overcome that? Well, we just came off the heels of, of, a, of an outstanding year financially. We uh, and it's probably the best year in the last four that we've had from from a fiscal standpoint. However, <laughs> however, with with that growth and, and with all the challenges that we've been able to overcome and, and with that growth in size, I've noticed at times some of the heart to heart conversations around conflict aren't happening happening as much as they should be. Mm. And so. I can tell you a real world example right now where I know there's a little bit of internal conflict going on in my team because I've heard things mm. and I've heard little murmurings and I've heard a few um, sidebar conversations. And and I know that as leader, I need to get a few individuals together in a room and we need to have a good uh, discussion on some conflict or perceived conflict mm-hmm. and then together come up with okay, here's a pain point. I know it exists. Let's talk about it. And let's figure out together as a team how we're going to fix it. And I think that you had brought up earlier the fact that larger organizations um, have a tendency to grow beyond their means to a point where uh, things get fragmented. People aren't talking as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, The personal conversations cease because it's all about the work, especially in a virtual environment. So, I think as a leader, you need to be able to take the time to have those personal conversations with your direct reports, that you're taking some time for team building and having some fun. Mm-hmm. Heaven forbid we say, yeah, it's, this is a really fun place to work. <laughs> but I love it when people say that to me because it, no, I, it means that I, I'm doing the right things, that they get to come to work for eight hours and, and have some fun and have some laughs. And yeah, because we're not saying it's fun if it's not safe, right? Like you can't have a... F- a fun, you know, if you have an unsafe environment, it can't also be fun. So like, that's a big indication of some safety there too. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Obviously you still have programs, policies, procedures, and you got to be safe. But what I'm more talking about is that culture when our members come through the door and they don't know why it's different, Mm. but they have a sense that this is a, this is a different place to come to shop. And they see people having fun and they see people helping each other and they see the laughter and they see the conversations between our team members and our members and the great um, camaraderie that that we see amongst our teams. That's the difference that our members do. So if I could end on anything, it starts internally first. Your Mm -hmm. internal customer experience or your internal customer service needs to start with how you treat each other. From the top down, before you can ever expect that your that your employees will treat your customers any different, it needs to start internally first. I love that. That's such a beautiful place to wrap up, Jeff. Before we officially close the door, and you may you I mean you may have already answered it, but if you have another example, I'll take it. We always ask the question, what was a conversation you had with yourself or with someone else that was transformative? And obviously, we heard the beautiful story about Larry, but if there was another one or something else that comes to mind that you'd like to share, I just want to give you the space. Sure. You know, it's something really simple and it, and it's some feedback I was given um, at the last retail where I was, was, was managing before I went to work for uh, our wholesaler for five years. And it seems really simple, but you know, one of uh, my direct reports, I said, give me one thing that I need to work on as I move forward in this organization. And he said, you need to smile more. <laughs> you don't smile enough. And you got a bald head and a goatee and you can be intimidating sometimes for some people because you look so serious. And 
two weeks ago, I had one of my direct reports in, in one of the other co-ops that I'm, I'm managing right now say, I don't know how this guy's so freaking happy all the time because he's <laughs> always smiling and he's always laughing and he always seems just so even keeled. And I'm not. Um, I'm a human being and I have bad days like everyone else, but I think it, nobody can, I guess, underscore the importance of eye contact Hmm. and smiling to everyone you interact with, uh, in the organization or outside the organization. There's 480 minutes, uh, uh, typically an eight hour day. That's 480 chances that you can make somebody's day by just being kind, smiling and having a 20 second conversation with them. So. I adore it. What a beautiful way to end. Jeff, Jeff Anderson from Moose Jaw. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your insights and your journey with all of us. So thank you so much for being here. I hope it was of value. Thank you for inviting me, Sarah. Our guest this week has been Jeff Anderson. And one of the things that I'm holding onto is that point he made of it just takes one person to validate those fears, those thoughts, those worries. And as a leader, how do you make sure that you are not the voice that does that? And we want to hear from you. So what resonated with you? What are you thinking about differently as a result? You can send us a message at podcast at sarahnillwilson.com, or you can find me on social media where my DMs are always open. And if you'd like to find out more about the work that we do and how we can help your team have conversations that matter, check us out at sarahnillwilson.com can also pick up a copy of my latest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold. And if you would like to support the show, please consider becoming a patron. You can do this by going to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations, where your financial support will support this incredible team that makes this happen, and you'll get some pretty great swag. And if you haven't done so already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. This helps us with exposure so that we can continue to bring on great guests like Jeff Anderson. I want to do a big thanks to our team that makes this podcast possible, to Nick Wilson, our producer, Drew Knoll, our sound editor, our transcriptionist, Becky Reinert, and marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit-Nelson, and the rest of the SnowCo crew. Thank you. And a final thank you to our guest, Jeff Anderson. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you so much for listening, for joining us each week across the globe. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So please be sure to rest, rehydrate, and we'll see you again next week.